Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, October 3rd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult survivor of breast cancer, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year, so... Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? It's time to get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, what a great way to kick off October with our great friends at the Young Survival Coalition. Jennifer Merstorff, she is the new chief executive offer, off, officer. Is that a 50 We're, we're going to offer her up here tonight <laughs> as, the, as the CEO of the Young Survival Coalition. Stacey Lewis, young adult breast cancer advocate and vice president of programming at the YSC. And kicking it off in our Survivor Spotlight, Terry Maliki, she is a young adult survivor of breast cancer. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com. We're not your father's cancer society. And we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because... Because... It's not okay. Not okay. And I said that before. I'll say it again. Welcome aboard on the fun and exciting rump of the hand tonight's stupid cancer show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Download us there for free as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And a final reminder, folks, the stupid cancer show has a live interactive chat feed. During each broadcast, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And a special welcome to our fabulous, fabulous crowd here tonight. Very nice. In studio. We like live, warm bodies. We do. We have Mr. Kenny Kane, as always. What up, what up? He's alive and warm. Dr. Reverend Mr. James Manning is here with us. He's far away from the microphone. JM, he can't say anything. He's and got a penguin on his shirt. Yes, he does. Yeah, and special in-studio guest, Jessica, I'm sorry, your last name again? Jessica Schaefer Jessica joining Schaefer. us. Jessica Schaefer. Jessica, a young adult survivor from the age of two. 
Joining Amazing. us now does public relations, and she's an extraordinary activist and looking to get involved. Jessica, how old are you now? 24. She's just about as old as Kenny. Ancient. Ancient. Kenny's leaving. Kenny's, that's it? Kenny's Good night. Gone. Bye, Kenny. All right. Yeah. That's it for Kenny. Kenny's gone. Je- Jess, yeah. just sit where Kenny was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we are thrilled to have our principal guests live in studio. We are. Janet Stacy. hello. 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 Oh, that was so poetic. <laughs> that was so poetic. It was. It was very nice. It was and very feminine. It was like high-pitched yes. and almost like in harmony. Hello. And I will remind you, it does get warm in here. Yeah. So this is like the opposite of the Letterman show, where everyone's freezing all the yeah. time. It's the opposite. Yeah. And because it's not as funny. It's not. No, it's certainly nowhere near as funny as Letterman. <laughs> not a chance in hell. No. Oh, well. Well, I have to give a special shout-out tonight, a really special shout-out tonight. There's an amazing human being on this planet with a... Um, other than your wife? You're too kind, Matt. And your Thank kids? You. Yeah. Uh, no. He came oh, back there, just in time for that, Kenny be, did. There can yeah. be many amazing human beings on this planet, but there's one amazing human being on this planet in particular tonight. He's in the chat room, and he gave birth to me uh, indirectly by way of my mother, um, <laughs> My father turned 65 years old today. Is he like that guy from People magazine with the big stomach? Happy birthday, Dad. Lewis, right? Lewis David Greenswig II. Happy birthday to my dad. Grandfather to my twin children. Father-in-law to my my wife. And father... Husband to my mother. And a, and, a, and a good dresser overall. Very good. He cleans nice. Cleans he, up real he, wears, good. he wears a lot of uh, polo. Ralph Lauren, your dad. I remember that from the yes. OMG Summit. He is. He's decked out head to toe in polo. He's Mr. Polo. And yes. he's got some guns on him. He's jacked. Yes. He's, my dad is jacked. There's no doubt about that. He's totally jacked. He is. He's, he goes to the gym like every day. He's made of steel. After 65 years, he could still kick your ass. He could kick your ass, my ass, and all of our asses. In one like the, swift the collective punch. ass of the stupid cat. He's a he's a, he's, a, he's a jacked Jew. He is a jacked Jew. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. He's, yeah, he's a, amazing. So sixty five and sixty five is a great number. It's a good number to have. I I wait for sixty five. Now is he retired or has he been retired? Is he yeah, still he retired working? a couple of years ago. He was a uh, vice, I'm sorry, an assistant principal of occupational education and technology at a high school on Staten Island for over thirty years. That sounds very important and smart. He is a very smart guy. Yeah. And uh, I owe him I owe him half of everything because I'm my mother the other half. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Okay. So, but amazing. We love Poppy. Happy birthday. He is Poppy. Lewis. My kids, yes. Okay. So, um, and I also wanted to mention, this is kind of cool. Uh, we don't usually promote this, but it was really big. This year, Live Strong Day yeah. was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think it was the fifth annual or the sixth annual Live Strong Day. Right. And everyone sort of went yellow batshit, and it was amazing. Yeah. Good stuff. It's not about raising money, Live Strong Day. It's about recognizing how much progress we made and that the survivorship movement is there. It's here. It's it's not about cure as much anymore. It's about living with cancer and surviving it and making sure that systems exist to guarantee quality of life and dignity through the balance. But things didn't go yellow batshit the way they go pink batshit with, like, the White House no, lighting what, up yellow the way it lights up pink. No, no, that. that was a great segue into the pink batshit mm-hmm. of October, right. which we call pink nausea. I know. On the show. I know. Which is why we are having um, mostly breast cancer organizations on the show for October to sort of explain, does it work? Does it work? What's the point? Exactly. Is it needed? Right. Um, do we really need pink toilets? 
I think I think the NFL. Well, we'll get into this when we bring the YSC folks on the show. But watching all those football players in the NFL, and they did. I know they've done this in years past with the pink towels and the pink sneakers and the pink gloves. This a little weekend, effeminate. It's it's a little much. They're all it's outside little, the door now. The, some, the New York Giants are outside. What do they kill us? They have, unfortunately they have better things to do. They have other people to pick on all right, than us. All right. But as we always say, we could use the publicity. So yeah. We'll take it. The New York Giants can beat us up to be sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> it's a stupid cancer beatdown. We could take the Jets, though. They're 2-2. Two two. They're yes, terrible. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Done. Okay. Or we could get, like, the Jets versus my dad. In right. A, <laughs> in a cage match. <laughs> that would be uh, that'd be something. Okay. Awesome. Here uh, we go. Oh, and I also, we're going to announce the news, but we launched OMG 2012 right. last Tuesday. Yep. To significant laud. We have like over, oh, I think, seventy people are started fundraising for it already. Uh, we have a program called the Players Club, which is this incentivized fundraising program that lets you earn your travel uh, reimbursements up to six hundred dollars. You can also earn your registration fee getting waived. You can earn an iPad. Mm-hmm. You can earn a MacBook by raising us money, all in the, the name of uh, helping us to execute what we're calling the. Um, the most highly anticipated healthcare event of 2012. No offense to C4YW, which we'll mention later on in the show, but this is the this is the spin, this is the buzz. We have so many people are excited about the uh, fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, March 30th, March 31st, April 1st at the Palms Hotel Casino Resort in Las Vegas. How do I earn open bar? Open bar is, uh, is that just red hair and freckles commensurative. You've earned open bar already. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you on the floor. <laughs> you know, I want to ask you, also give a quick thank you to the folks at uh, the early show over at CBS. They did a segment on how far we've come in cancer, the cancer report card that was put out by the AACR, correct? The American Association of Cancer Research, correct, yes. yes. And we had three kind of, I'm too young for this, associated people in the segment. You were um, one of them. I was one of them. And then uh, our good buddy, uh, we pulled in Scott Slater, musician extraordinaire from Brooklyn, testicular testicular cancer survivor. survivor. So uh, he and I did the segment, and then it was anchored, hosted by Dr. John LaPook, who was our keynote speaker at OMG. Do you think he recognized that you were... No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think he's fabulous, Um, but I think the producers put together the segment. And he had no idea. And he came out, and he did a wonderful job. Yep. And uh, we, we're, we're happy nonetheless. We certainly are. Turned out very well. So we say thanks to the early show folks. Well, anyway, let's, uh, let's get to our, uh, we have our Survivor Spotlight on the line. So let's cue up some music here and introduce her. In September of 2010, at the age of 32, Carrie Maliki was told she had an ugly, aggressive form of breast cancer known as triple negative. While still trying to come to terms with her own diagnosis, her mother, Peg, was also diagnosed with breast cancer six weeks later after a routine physical mammogram. Through strong will and determination, the family is now focused on advocacy, education, and fighting to find a cure. I read this story. I was so moved by it. Two of them diagnosed within six weeks of each other. I had to get them on the show. What better way to kick off fake nausea? Please welcome to the show Carrie Malicki and uh, Peg Trader. Carrie, Peg. Great, thank you for having me. Hello. Good evening. 
Thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. You've probably heard me say this before, but the minute I read the story about you guys, I was like, we have to get you on this show to talk about what's going on. Thank you. So why don't we start with Carrie? Carrie, you were 32. Yep. And uh, you did you find a lump? Did you go to the doctor? I mean, typically we talk about, you know, early detection, but that's kind of hard when there are a few... Like screenings? Can you talk us through that experience? Sure. I was um, I was actually, my lump was found by my two-year-old son at the time. I had just gotten done, you know, pregnancy nursing, pregnancy nursing, so nothing in my breast had been normal for several years. And uh, last late last August, my two-year-old was climbing into bed to cuddle with me, and I kind of was moving him over the side, and he climbed right over me and he kneed me in my chest. I had my arm up over the, you know, over the top of my head, and I just felt a, a, a horrible pain, and I put my hand down, and I couldn't feel it, and then I put my arm back up above my head, and I could feel the lump again, and so that's kind of, it was very, uh, very surreal at that moment, because I thought I was being a little bit of a drama queen, because I, the first thought was, oh my gosh, I have breast cancer, and I went into the bathroom, and I was all, you know, very hot, sweaty, just couldn't believe that it was happening, and then, you know, that very shortly passed after that, and I thought, you're dramatic, but I did wait um, just two days to actually call in and get seen, and from that to I, I was seen on Tuesday, and from that Tuesday to the next Wednesday, the following Wednesday, because that was over, over Labor Day weekend last year, I was, uh, before that I was told actually it was a 99% chance that it was not cancer, and um, but they kept pushing me through the system to get an ultrasound and a mammogram and a biopsy because they just wanted to be sure, and then found out um uh, the Wednesday following that, it was breast cancer. So it was kind of a little shock to the system there. I'm sure it was. Carrie, you said that you had pain. I had some pain as well and was told right off the bat as soon as I went for a biopsy, oh, there's never any pain associated with breast cancer. You're going to be fine. Were you told the same thing? Yes. I was actually told it was kind of interesting because not to say that they told me it wasn't pain, but it was probably more in my head type pain because um, they were, I mean, my certified nurse midwife was the one who I went and saw, and she was actually, I mean, she had her fingers on it, and she was pulling on it, and, you know, does this hurt? And, yeah, it hurts a lot. It's got to be a fibroadenoma. There's no way that this would be cancer. I'm 99% sure. And I remember just kind of thinking, well, I don't even, I've never heard that term before. I have no idea what you're talking about. And just feeling very, well, it, I guess just lost, because if she's saying this to me, then it must be true. So, um, yes, I did have a pain, and um, and, it, and it, I always used to say to family members, too, after I was diagnosed, it felt like it, I, like I was walking around with a basketball under my arm. It was just the, the psychological part that came with it, too. It felt like it was constantly throbbing. It was uh, very interesting. I'm kind of glad that that's over. Wow. So what? And tell us again exactly about your, your treatment. Um, I started treatment in October of last year. I had 20 weeks of chemotherapy, um, and then I had six weeks of radiation following that, and I was in a clinical trial for the drug Avastin. Um, when I did have surgery last year, I was lymph uh, node negative. They did find traces of cancer in my second lymph node, not the first one. Um, but So I was entered into this uh, clinical trial with Avastin for, because of my high risk of reoccurrence, I guess you could say. Um, and I actually, I think I had 26 treatments of that over 50 weeks. So I started, my surgery day was September 14th of last year, and then I, my last Avastin treatment was September 14th of this year. And, and what, so now I'm... What was the surgery? Uh, mastectomy or, or lumpectomy? Uh, lumpectomy. Lumpectomy, yep. yeah. So tell us now, let's bring in Mom. So Mom... Good morning or afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, so Peg... Hi. 
six weeks. So now, first of all, you get this news about your daughter, about Carrie, um, mm-hmm. which must must have been difficult to digest. And then tell us about how your diagnosis came about just six weeks later. So mine, uh, mine, I did not go in to be tested because of Carrie. My physical had been set up, you know, months prior. It was uh, when I was in uh, to the doctor's office, I was explaining that Carrie had just been diagnosed, and he said, well, we better get you in for another mammogram. So we went in for the mammogram, and then at that point they seen a little something. So, of course, they wanted to go in and do an MRI and everything. And so then we went in and they did a biopsy. And at that point they said, you have what we call DCIS, which some people refer to as cancer. Some of them refer to precancer. But, quote, unquote, if you're going to have cancer, it's the best kind to have. So... I went My favorite through, term. We waited, yeah, we waited for quite some time before we decided on any treatment because at that point they had all agreed that we should really go through um, genetic testing. So when the genetic, te- because then it would make a whole lot of difference on actually what treatment would be, you know, that they would, you know, recommend. Right. So when the genetic testing come back, we do not have the breast cancer gene. So at that point. Um, after lots of thoughts and everything, I decided, well, I'll just go in and have the um, uh, the lumpectomy. Well, then when the biopsy come back from that, they called and said, whoops, um, we, you know, it has spread. So now we're suggesting we go back in and take some more. And we went through the whole, do you want to have a lumpectomy, a mastectomy, a double mastectomy, sure. whatever. All so those fun after choices. going through all this stuff, um, then at that point, they, you know, I said, let's just do the double. I'm kind of done being picked and poked at right. and whatever. And at one time when they did the um, MRI, they seen the little spots on the other side. So, so you I said, I want to be done with this. Just, let's just do it um, double mastectomy. Right. Yeah. So on February 3rd I had of, two, of this year, I had the lumpectomy, and then on March 3rd I had the double mastectomy, and then when the biopsies come back from that, they did say that I had atypical cells in my other breast, which so they said you made the right decision because at some point they would have been cancerous. They, didn't, they said we can't tell you if it would have been a year, 10 years, yeah. 20 years, so... So that was the end of that. And, so what's going on now? Um, because Carrie, so Carrie, you're a new mom, you, right? So you've got a small child. Do you, you have one child? I have a five-year-old and three-year-old. Five-year-old and three-year-old. Yep. Okay, so two small kids. You yep. get the diagnosis. Then Peg, you get the diagnosis. Double whammy there. So wow, who's taking care of who? You've got kids, small kids in the house. I mean, talk about having a lot on your plate in that family. How'd you how'd you guys well, manage it all? For me, it took me literally about five weeks to come to terms with being diagnosed, and um, and I and I was I was fine when I was around adults. It was once I got around my kids that I I just it's like your knees buckle from under you. You can't function. You can't think. You see a Toy Story movie and somebody gets hurt and you cry because you think, oh my gosh, my kids shouldn't have to deal with this. Um, I don't want to say that my mom's diagnosis helped me because that would be kind of horrible, but it was that was part of the turning point for me. Um, my my four year old actually at the time Carter because um, you know I just cried all the time when I was around my kids and I tell him I'm just crying because I love you guys and you know as I'm expressing I love you right now and 
um, I was laying in bed right now, and I was crying, of course, and he was rubbing my back, and he said, you know, Mom, you should just go to sleep. It's going to make you feel better. And um, I did, and I just passed out, and I woke up. I don't know how much longer later, but he was no longer in bed with me, and I ran out to my husband. And um, after I kind of had a moment to think about that, I was like, you know, I've got such great kids, and I thought, wait a minute here, this is role reversal. He's four. This is too much for him to handle. So I kind of came out and, you know, all my glory and, you know, F cancer, that's it. Like, this is it. It's not going to take control of our lives anymore. I'm done with that. And so I, then my mom was diagnosed just shortly after that, and so I think that put me even into more, uh, I guess, action and in, in trying to make sure that, um, you know, that she was okay. We're all going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. we're all going to be okay, and we just got to work through it. You kind of get get out of yourself at that point when you know that somebody, uh, your kids have to be cared for, your mom has to be cared for. Yeah. So I want to jump in because my observations here are, this is a quite extraordinary situation where. You just happen to have gotten lucky that your child helped you discover this pain randomly, and then your mom just happened to have this routine appointment where you happened to have gotten sick six weeks earlier that compelled them to have your mom happen to get a mammogram. It's it's eerily, like, just kooky that it worked out this way. What are it's your thoughts crazy. on on all that? It's crazy, and then I sometimes tell people, if you have to have, I mean, like, too, I'm not glad that she had cancer, and I'm not glad that I have cancer or had cancer, but if you go through it together, it's just, I mean, we went to her oncologist, my oncologist, her surgeon, my surgeon, my middle daughter is a nurse, and she'd sit in, and we'd, and so we've been educated, that's for sure know a lot more about breast cancer than either one of us ever cared to, but now I feel that we also are educators to other people out there because I didn't feel a lump, but mine was bigger than hers, and she she was 32, and that shouldn't have happened, and we don't have the breast cancer gene, so just because you don't feel or for someone to say it's not painful, well, yeah, it was. So there's a lot of things that we've learned that, we just never would have learned, and I'm glad that I found out six weeks later instead of finding out this year in October when she's done with all of her treatment. So now we're just, I have my last surgery in November, and we're done. Wow, yeah, that's I great. Think for, for me, it's very, uh, it's, I mean, exactly exactly what my mom had said, and I think that it put, just puts everything into a lot of perspective, and Matthew, you're talking about, you know, understanding it and finding it all out and, you know, how eerie it is. And I, I, I obviously, I can't agree more. And I think that for me, um, I right now I see my three-year-old Dawson, who was one who found the lump, I call him my, my, my physical savior. Like, I literally feel that he saved my life because without him, you know, that knee that day, I don't know when I would have found it. And I always ask my oncologist, why did this not spread? Why did this not spread? You know, you have grade 3 cancer, you've got triple negative cancer, this thing should have gone somewhere. And he said, I don't know, just be glad that it didn't. And so it's just uh, so many things that you just hear that, you you know, I would call myself an outlier because they say, well, yeah, but it's not going to happen to you. Or, um, you know, the odds of you having breast cancer are so slim and everything that they kind of these little, they pigeonhole you into these certain situations or certain groups of people and, I think after a while, you just throw that out the window and just go, hey, I'm alive, you know, I'm kicking it, this is all good, and this is where I want to be, and I've got my family around me, and 
you know, it's a crazy little coaster ride we all went on, but it was worth it. And in the end, we're survivors, and we've been educated, and we can continue to educate people about our story and our experience. Absolutely. So other than, you know, practically being able to run a clinic or support group out of your home with all that you guys know, how do you go forward with your lives? Have you Are you changing anything about your lives in terms of your diet or exercise? Or obviously your outlook is different. You've been changed. She's going to have like 20 it. more kids now. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. uh, they don't no. even have to go to medical school. Okay. <laughs> there aren't, yeah. So how, um, how do you go personally. forward together now? Um, I used to work in marketing, actually, for about 12 years, and I decided that that's not going to be it for me because I, you know, it might sound crazy, but I'd say, you know, I I don't really like sitting in an office making other people money. Um, I feel like I have a little bit more to offer, and so I'm right now focusing on, I used to call myself cancer-killing machine, and, you know, it was just my, uh, you know, bring it on, bring it on. I just, I want to fight cancer, and so I think that right now I'm trying to change my body into that, too, with exactly what you had said, Lisa, with food and exercise, trying to make sure that I'm the healthiest person that I can be, and then I'm making sure that my kids are as healthy as they can be. So if there's anything that I can do to prevent a, a reoccurrence in myself or, you know, do anything that I can in my home to make sure that my family is not subjected to this again, that that's something that I'll continue to do. Um, I will be going to school now, switching gear to complementary and alternative medicine, to something that I think that to be able to become educated in that um, would just, I just think, would help myself immensely and kind of where I guess I see myself in the future. Where, where do you live? Where, where are you guys uh, situated? We are in, well, I live in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Eau Claire, um, and my mom lives in Oxford, Wisconsin, which nobody has ever heard of. It's 132 <laughs> people. They have those great mid- Midwest accents. So you're cheeseheads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're cheeseheads. Okay. Yeah. I was once in Wisconsin Dells when I was six years old. That's the only time I've ever been to Wisconsin. Okay, then you're right in my neck of the woods. That's right where there I am. There you go. Right All right. Wisconsin well, we are vicariously yeah. time-traveling neighbors. <laughs> right. I was, I was just going to say to both of you, like, you know, the we are an organization that focuses on young adults with cancer, but the other organization we have on the show tonight is called the Young Survival Coalition, and they're just for young women with breast cancer. So you're in a good place right now to be enrobed, if I may use a culinary <laughs> term. Uh, Enveloped, in, engulfed. Yes, enswaddled. Enswaddled. <laughs> with, with two amazing communities that really want to be there for you and for your mother as co-caregivers to each other and moving your lives forward. Their website is youngsurvival.org, and I would encourage you to check them out after Kenny, you get up the show. in the chat room? And, uh, Kenny's going to throw that up in the and, chat, and even, in you know, the chat stick room Stick around and keep listening to the show because we have their CEO on the show and the director of programming mm-hmm. on the show. Is that what your title is? Good enough, Matt. Yeah. All right, I try. Lof- lofty title, members of the YSC. But I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that this story has a happy ending. And You're happy it has a happy ending. I'm very I'm And pleased. I'm happy. And they're happy. Yes. No, it's it's terrific, and thank you so much for sharing it, both of you. Yeah, we appreciate you guys having us on. Thanks so very much. Good luck to you, and keep in touch. Take keep care. Keep fighting a good fight. Right. Yes. Yep, thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, Carrie, Willoughby, and Peg Schrader. What an amazing story. It really is. I mean, the odds of, you know... Yeah, for those of you just, just tuning in, a uh, young woman, 32, diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer by accident because of her son, who felt the lump in her breast and whose mother was diagnosed six weeks later. And her son was, what, three, she said? Yes. Very young, yeah. Amazing. Just extraordinary stories. Well, let's get to the news here. 
And uh, then we'll hit Hello, up our Hello, I'm Kent Brockman. This is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Maddie Matt. All righty. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for your adults, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking, mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send it to us in an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Okay, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of your social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. What's on tap, Matt? Well, the one I know about, and Kenny's going to chime in afterwards, this Wednesday night, Washington, D.C., happy hour. I will be there. we got some D.C. Oh. folks in our chat room. I don't go to these that, that often. I'm excited. Washington, D.C. Metro, Stupid Cancer Happy Hour, Wednesday night at, what is it, Buffalo Billiards? or? And you might even drink. Atomic Billiards. Atomic Billiards. Be Whoa. there. Uh, there's also one on the 20th in uh, Denver. Uh, 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 and uh, we got a whole bunch of uh, uh, Halloween parties coming up. Oh, we do? Yeah. Stupid Cancer Halloween Party? I'll beat all of them simultaneously. That's this, this metaphysical of you. Yes. Like uh, multiplicity. All right. The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 900 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, and caregivers with all cancers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up with one click through Facebook today. All right, it's game on, people. The fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in Las Vegas at the Palms Casino Resort. Mark your calendars, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st for an all... Is that right? 30 days past September, April, June, and November. Yeah, 31st, right. Gesundheit. 30th, 31st, and April 1st for an all-out weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, social networking at the hippest annual event in all of cancer land. Says we, visit the official omg2012.org site and get pumped for the most highly anticipated healthcare event of the next year. Says us. (laughs) (laughs) Also... Check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you could earn up to 600 bucks in travel reimbursement and even win a brand new iPad. Matthew? And that is, is your, your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. That was good, Lisa. You're, you're, uh, you're Vanna White. You must have done on-air stuff My Vanna before. White. Whatever I wish that I was, was Vanna White. Vanna White is, you know what? I just have to say, she's a genius. Anybody that figured out that she could make millions of dollars by wearing gowns and just turning around letters, or they, don't even have, they don't even turn anymore. She just touches them and they light up. That's her entire career, and she's made millions. I think she's a genius. She's going to do you got like me all worked up, you said Vanna White. No, she's going to do like an I Dream of Genie next, which just goes, Dook! and the light, and they just change without touching them. I know. Well, she will. She will have to have. She no bodily contact. You know, oh, yeah, and it'll yeah, just happen. Yeah. I know. I wear. I worship Vanna White. Yep. Yeah, she's amazing. All right, that has nothing to do with anything other than Kenny said Vanna White. It's not a tumor. Okay, let's get this out of the way here. You guys are getting Rickrolled. Cheesy Rick Astley's music. All right, I'll read Jan, and you can make up Stacey's. Yeah. Jennifer Merstorf is a breast cancer survivor and the new CEO at the Young Survivor Coalition, the premier global organization dedicated to the critical issues unique to young women who are diagnosed with breast cancer. With over 15 years of experience in both the nonprofit and for-profit sector, she strives to be a strong voice 
for all young women facing breast cancer, ensuring that they know they do not need to face this disease alone. Stacey Lewis, she was born in Kathmandu. Uh, she's an accomplished mandolin player and an expert in the fine art of ventriloquy. So she might throw her voice tonight. You will have no idea where it's coming from. Is that her talking now? It could be. Okay. Yeah. Um, she went to William Patterson University, and she went to Teaneck High School. That's in New Jersey. Wait, so Teaneck, she went New to, Jersey, so I know that. she went that. to high school after college? Hmm. Wow. She threw her She's education. So cool. Yes. Yeah. And then she went to grade school after that. She's a she's, certified cheddar she's cheese actually, activist, yeah, she's, Benjamin she's, Button. She's actually <laughs> just entering kindergarten this fall. Please that'll, welcome. That'll teach you not to send us a bio. <laughs> <laughs> the vice president of programming. Uh, right? Young, yes. That's right. All right, so Stacey Lewis. Of the Young Mercer. Survival Coalition, yes. We're, no, we're thrilled to have Stacey. We love Stacey. And we're the feeling as usual. <laughs> And Jennifer's here as the brand new CEO. Yes. How long have you been CEO now? Uh, six months. Six months. Yeah. You're still here. I am enjoying every minute of it. All right. Well, let's let's start with your story then. Let's let's. You can uh, pull that mic right all up. All right, I guess. So yeah. you had breast cancer. I did. There's um, a theme tonight about that, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually just celebrating my one year cancer anniversary. Wow. That gets a big round of applause. Yeah. Wow. Well, you 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 took a job as CEO six months after breast cancer. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. Whoa. That takes some brazen balls, what you're yeah. wearing. So you're what, like, whatever, All right. the, whatever the equivalent of the balls is. I'm in the thick of it. I'm ready to go. CEO, here there I come. There you go. Uh, yeah. And actually, pretty similar to Peg and to Carrie, my mother is tied into my story. Also, she was diagnosed. Did she find your breast cancer? She did not, but <laughs> she uh, was diagnosed about seven months before I was. Wow. So our family sort of started saying the words cancer for the first time in January 2010, um, and seven months later we both had gone to the Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> Happy wow. uh So, yeah, so that's, that's how it all started. Um, why you, is, how did you find your breast cancer? I was actually on the phone with my mother um, and happened to feel a lump and just thought it just couldn't be. Yeah. I mean, that's just impossible, right? The right. odds. Being and a 28-year-old woman. 28, right, 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 right. 36. Uh, of course. Um, but uh, he found it and actually, you know, kind of pretended it wasn't maybe there for a week or two. Because sure. it was a little like that's impossible. Right. Um, I thought it was going to go away. Um, but it didn't go away. And uh, so I ended up uh, doing a bilateral mastectomy. Um, I wasn't going to play around with it after just going through everything with my mother. Right. And I actually took the Oncotype test. So I scored very low and did not do chemo. Um, and I'm doing a ovarian suppression um, treatment for two years. Yeah. Um, and tamoxifen. Right. So I'm going a different route for my treatment. Um, I didn't do chemo. It's so fascinating for me. I mean, I'm... Do you feel guilty about that? You sound like guilty about that. No. No, no, You shouldn't actually. be guilty about that. I, it's, um, yeah. It just means you're in treatment longer. Yes. Yeah. Really is what it means. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, I, hearing these stories, it's for me, you know, 16 years out, there was no Oncotype. There was no nothing. Automobiles. Yes, yeah, no, right, chariots. Right, <laughs> way no back modern then. tools. But, no. Um, but only uh, the only similarity is I remember also sort of being given the choice of, and, and now they do many more sort of skin-sparing mastectomies. They said with me I could go either way, and I did the, not the double, but the right, but the mastectomy also sort of thinking, okay, let's move on. I don't want to be back here. <laughs> Not interested. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
but um, but of course things have advanced so this yes. many years later. So so that's amazing. So your mom, and, and how's your mom doing? She's doing amazing. Yeah, she's Good. doing fabulous. Really, really great. Yeah. We like we like happy endings. Absolutely. Oops. Yeah. So you had worked in the nonprofit world prior. Now, how did you come together then with the YSC? Um, yeah. So my I had spent most of my nonprofit experience in the environmental movement. Um, worked at the National Sierra Club for many years. So I met my husband, and um, spending after getting my MBA, senior management, just really building my career. Are you smart or something? <laughs> MBA, There's two MBAs the, in the room. If you're really dumb. On the business side of uh, nonprofits and loving that, um, and so. Um, with breast cancer and my professional career sort of crossed uh, with this job, which is incredible. It's, a, it's, it's like a dream job. But how did you find the YSC? Just because you had breast cancer or you knew about them anyway? Or? No, I actually found the YSC. Um, so when I, because of everything that had gone on with my mom, um, right when I was diagnosed, my husband and I sent an email out about two days after I was diagnosed to everybody we knew, like our contacts. Just said, Jen's been diagnosed. She's gonna be fine. But if you know any other young women, um, can you email Jen? And by that first weekend, I had 13 women around the country emailing me and got me through the first weekend. It was yeah. they were amazing. Wow. And they're the ones who told me about YSC. So just so 13 women that you did not know at all from Canada to LA. Yeah, the whole country. That's phenomenal. And just saying this is going to happen. This is, and everybody kept mentioning YSC. Um, so went on the website, saw that there was a sport group meeting the following week, and walked in, and um, they got me through my cancer. Hooked for life. Yeah, I mean they they I it sounds sort of cheesy, but it's really true. I mean my doctors really did save my body, but YSC saved my soul. They got so me like, through it. So like like the hair club for men. You're not only president, you're a member too. I sure am. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm definitely consider myself a member of YSC. Yeah. Very nice. Wow. So let's bring Stacy on then, because uh, come on, Stacy. She's important. Come on also. down. So, I'm here. So we'll let you we'll <laughs> let you tell everyone what your role is at YSC, what YSC is. And how you came to be a part of this six years now, right? That's true, Matt. You know my bio better than I. Pull that mic right up to you. We didn't Tessie. need it at all, did we? <laughs> so one of the things I think is important, and uh, you know, I can talk on and on about Young Survival Coalition. It is the only international nonprofit focused on meeting the unique needs of young women diagnosed with breast cancer. But when I listen to Carrie's story, and I know my friends here at I2I very well, and we're going to talk about the pinkification and pink nausea, one of the things I think is so unique about her story and, and begins to demonstrate the value of pinkification is the fact that she said that the medical community pushed her through it. As a matter of fact, I wrote down her word. She said they kept pushing her through the system. The reason that we need to continue to have pinkification and pink nausea and anything that raises awareness is because the majority of young women are not being pushed through. They're not being pushed through the system. They're being just given the opposite um, response and saying, oh, you're too young. Young, young women are still being told that, and I think she until, makes a point, Matthew. Until that changes, oh, Matt knows not to mess with Stacy. <laughs> I'm going to name a company after that. <laughs> until that changes, um, we need to do anything and everything we can to raise awareness about the issues of breast cancer, and specifically for Young Survival Coalition, the focus yes. is on young women diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, what do you want to know, I was Matt? Say, so, the, so the Young Survival Coalition was 
started in 1997? 1998. Actually. Oh, I was very close. Okay, I can't the work young, for you anymore. The three young women uh, who were all diagnosed under the age uh, of 35. One of them was the uh, cousin of my gynecologist. Yes. Oh, really? Christina Matera, my fabulous gynecologist. How about that? Not, I was going to say her niece, but I'm pretty sure it's her cousin, and I, I'm sorry her name escapes me at the moment from so New Jersey. there are three. Oh, that yeah. would be Joy Simha. Okay. One of our co-founders. Yeah. She's in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, yes, we were founded in 1998 by three wonderful uh, young women who are all doing fabulously well today. Uh, and they really began the movement, and they raised the issues that they were facing as young women diagnosed with breast cancer. And here we are, 13 going on 14 years later, really still trying to make a difference in the thousands of women's lives that are diagnosed. Now, we have to still make the point as to how different a disease this is and how much more aggressive it can often be in younger women, which a lot of people out there still don't know, and why it is so important that young women, you know, are not told, I'm too young for this, because there are too many young women that lose their lives to this illness. Can you guys speak to that? We're looking at about 3,000 young women every year that we don't get to see the following year. And while there have been some really great strides in the area of research, you're absolutely right. The five-year survival rate that we're looking at for our population is certainly not as good as that of the traditional breast cancer population. So there is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of research that needs to happen, and um, we're going to be here fighting and scrapping and i 2 ing and connecting with anybody <laughs> who can. Turn us into a verb. A <laughs> All right, so my question then. Obviously, you guys really set the tone. You, you were launched literally the same year as, like, the Ullman Cancer Fund right. and the, the, I think the SAM Fund. First Sense came out the same year or year afterwards. So there was, like, this spark that was ignited from really pissed-off young adult survivors in the late 90s. And here we are 13, 14, 15 years later, and there is now a cohesive national movement that has moved into clinical trials. It has moved into epidemiology. It has moved into clinical uh, best practices and standards of care. There are now clinics at, or at hospitals around the country that focus on young adults. Is the message still not effective enough? What needs to be done? Is it ASCO? Is it nurses? Is it social workers? Or is it the responsibility of the consumer, of the patient, to know, to make the point that they're different, that they're young, they need to be taken seriously? What are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts are that it's all of the above. It is certainly not one or the other. It's not the nurses or the doctors. It's not the researchers or the major societies. It is everyone, including the consumers, that really begin to understand Um, their risk or if they are diagnosed, their rights and how important it is that they advocate for themselves. Jen? You didn't think you were just going to be in there for that and you're done, right? It's old (laughs) Stacy's job now. Take over, Stacy. You know, I I think it's, I think there's a a bigger piece there that that, um, it's just a real general awareness. I mean, I think we've all been through it. So cancer, talking about cancer, it seems very normal. Isn't that weird? I mean, it does right. seem very normal. We're in the us. bubble. Yeah, we're in the bubble. And outside the bubble before, I guess, I've only been in it a year. So a year ago, I, I wouldn't have even thought that it could happen to me or to another young person. And so I think that there's 
there's there's more work to be done to get outside to the, to the masses, to the general public, to let them know that young women can and do get breast cancer, and to you know be your best um, you know self advocate, pay attention to your body, know what's going on. If something's going on, don't stop until you get it checked out. But has it been? All right. So the flip side is, yeah, we need to make more primary care physicians literate that this is something that does happen in young women. But how do we then avoid scaring the crap out of people and getting them misdiagnosed? Because it is an extremely rare thing to happen, even though we say, you know, 70,000 young adults and 6,000 women. Is it 6,000 a year are diagnosed? No, it depends on what the numbers are that you're looking at. But if you're talking about women diagnosed at 40 and under, yeah. you're more about 12, 12 13,000. Right. So the, the the conversations I wind up having with people is that, it's just so rare that it actually happens that to put this in the minds of, of family practitioners who are largely the people that are first diagnosed with this and say, before you go to an oncologist, you're with your general practitioner. You're with a regular doctor in the community who may not know to consider these things. Is this whole idea of considering it, I don't want to say worth it, but is where's the balance between making sure they, that you have to can everyone possibly know about this versus where are the low-hanging fruit that we can actually do, make a difference? Not to make it simple, but, you know, we all know that when you get in a car, you should put a seatbelt on. You're not anticipating that you're going to get in a car accident, but you've been trained and taught through family, through friends, through people that just click the seatbelt. Well, it's a law also. Well, right. But, okay, <laughs> it is a law. That's true. But I mean, don't take it and make it more complicated. <laughs> Keep it really simple. We know in our minds we need to wear the seatbelt. You know, I mean, if you know in your mind that this could be something, so you should look for it and be, understand your body, understand how it could change. You don't have to be terrified about it. You don't have to be scared. It doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. But be aware and be proactive. I, I mean, I think it can be very simple. Stacy, I was just going to say that, it, it, you know, I think that human society has demonstrated that it is much more... Um, driven by the reality than the fear. When they talked about HPV, they weren't saying that every young woman or every person was going to develop cervical cancer. So what we're talking about is increased awareness, is more information, and not only more information for those that are entitled or those that are educated or those that are well-off or those that have access to good healthcare, but really just the baseline of education. You learn how to brush your teeth, you learn how to wash your armpits, and the rest of your body. Maybe you learn how to wash your armpits. I know, Matt. We're still no, working we're so, on so, Yeah, still, still working still on him. Working on Matt. Yeah. I'm, trying, I'm sitting across the yeah. table. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this is important information, and it's important information for your long-term health care, not to, to set you into a stream of fear, but to say this is how you take care of yourself. And and to know that young women do get breast cancer, we're not asking physicians to jump through hoops and, and really develop extreme methodologies. And there is no early detection screening program. So right. what we're saying is know the truth. Know what's real. Know the facts so that if something does happen, that you are armed with that level of information that puts you in a better position to be Carrie or to be some other young woman that's diagnosed. And when the doctor says, no, that's not possible, you can say, 
it is possible. I just want to know that it's not. I think that's a really good point. It's, just, it's about education. I think it's a cop-out oftentimes to say, are we making people too afraid? It's all in the approach. It's, a, it's about being. It's just about being well, wasn't educated. Wasn't that a larger conversation with the early act? It was indeed. Um, and and you had one fraction saying that young women are going to be afraid. But if we have the body of our government that controls health education messaging, that is developing age-appropriate messaging, then that eliminates that fear. Right. We're, we're talking about age-appropriate messaging, and we're talking about fact-based messaging, not saying that 90 million young women are diagnosed every year. It's my favorite number. Isn't it? I just need a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but not saying that, you know, not blowing it out of proportion to really have people be driven by fear, but presenting the reality to have people be driven by knowledge. And I think if we want to just segue into the pink nausea thing, if we're if we're ready to do that, my issue with it is, you know, I think what 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 Stacey and Jennifer are saying is exactly right about about being educated, but oftentimes when you see the over pinkification, like when I was watching football this weekend, and I think to myself, "Gee, is that just kind of it?" Just very simply put, here in colloquial terms, boy, that could allay a lot of guilt for people. That you know, we look like we're doing something great. We look like there's no connection there for me in terms of this is really getting education out there. This is really enlightening. This is really informing people. I see it so much more as a personal message of. Okay, I'm off the hook this month. I've done something good. I'm going to throw a little but pink think, out there. I think and the real cop-out, no, the, the real cop-out is when they say, well, if we just help one person, that's a load of shit. <laughs> that's a load of shit to say, well, if we just help one person, because you can never track who that one person is. And if you're going to spend a billion, or I'm sorry, a, 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 what did you say, a billion dollars on corporate brand partnerships, there should be some more substance to that than just showing up and dressing yourself up in pink and playing football. Am I wrong in thinking that? Like, are we really out there for the one person? Right. I I think that in part, and I'm no marketing genius, but I think that that's where the marketing faux pas is, that you see the pink towels, that you see the pink shirts, but that there isn't that connection that demonstrates to you, the viewer, what that means. Right. And I think that if we knew that that pink towel meant that there was another $10 million invested in research, right. we would feel so much better. Mm-hmm. That's the marketing faux pas. It's, totally. You know, I think that it's not, it's not the pink that's the issue. It's, it's the message and the connection right. that some people or some entities are failing to draw between, you know, the viewer and the issue or the reality. So how, how do you feel about cross-marketing efforts like, I'll just call them out, like there's um, a brand of uh, kitchen appliances that they get go pink for the month of October, and the process by which that the benefic- benefiting organization receives benefit is so convoluted to the consumer that they often don't realize what they have to do for that beneficiary to make that dollar. You have to register. You have to sign up. You have to mail something in. Then you have to get a coupon. Then you have to, like, stamp the coupon on a Tuesday with odd-numbered letters in the you know 1974 quarter, and they mail that back in, and they finally get a dollar. You know, is it is there 
is there really corporate greed here? Is that a legitimate concern? And what has have has have you experienced from your community in their response to everything becoming pink for October and the lack of meaningfulness in that? Is there corporate greed? Come on. <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't, I, 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 mean, I, didn't mean, I don't even know we want to go there. But I mean, like corporate abuse of yeah. goodwill. You know, I, I, I'm sure there is. I mean, I, I would be foolish to say that there isn't. I, you know, I, for somebody that diagnosed a year ago, around this time of year, um, it was a very strange time to be facing cancer for the first time, um, and it was very confusing. Um, now, a year later, I'm doing the work that I'm doing and interacting in this space. Um, you know, when I see a company that's making money off the backs of young survivors, that makes me a little angry. And some of them are. Some of them are. Right. Um, but then there are a lot of other companies that are giving organizations money r- during this period. Um, a lot of fundraising happens in the breast cancer movement in the month of October. Um, and it's you know, goes right back into the community, goes right back into good work, goes right back into research. So, you know, it's, this is a this is one of those fabulous, amazing corporate things that's compli- complicated and two-sided. So I'd like to walk somebody through if they are either newly diagnosed or they're looking to come to an organization like the YSC. They come and knock on your door. What happens next for them? You know, it depends on where they are in the country and how they want to engage with YSC. Um, some individ- some women want to interact on the web, and at the very beginning especially, um, it's a really safe place. Um, I know a lot of women um, uh, interact on YSC's boards as a, as a reader um, and not necessarily as a participant right away because there's a lot of amazing conversations going on that are answering a lot of the questions you feel like you can't ask anybody. Yeah. Um, so that's an amazing place to start. Um, certainly then looking to see if there is a YSC affiliate or group in where you live um, and reaching out to them. Uh, they, you know, between um, support groups, uh, educational meetings, um, fun social gatherings, happy hours. There's a lot of different things going on around the country. So, you know, there's a couple different ways to to get involved. Um, and certainly on the YSC website, you know, you'll see about the conference, um, which Stacey can talk a little bit more about, but it's coming up in February. Yeah, let's talk about that. You guys have held an annual conference for the last nine years, ten years, eleven years? 2012 will be 12 years. 12 years. 12 years that we have uh, partnered with Living Beyond Breast Cancer to host uh, what is now affectionately called C4YW, the Conference for Young Women Diagnosed with Breast Cancer. We'll be in New Orleans, and uh, we're happy to say that Sir Sir Matt Zachary will be joining us and presenting one of our workshops. Um, And I think... I think uh, to your question, you know, young women come in as many different types of people as we know there are, that many ways young women come into Young Survival Coalition. So whether they have the affiliate that Jennifer mentioned, um, you know, some women find out about YSC actually by coming to the annual conference. Uh, and then realize that they are not alone, that there are other young women diagnosed. And so there are many different ways to, to enter an organization, and I think that without the corporate support that we receive through some of these, you know, pink partners, um, it would be very, very difficult for us to provide some of the programs that we do. 
So what do you see, Jennifer, coming in? What are the biggest challenges, Could you like right off the bat, coming in as CEO of an organization like this? I mean, obviously, you know, the economy's down, so that's affected everybody. Um, but just in terms of the goals and initiatives of the organization, what do you see now coming on as being your challenges your biggest... for YSC or challenges for me? <laughs> well, we could say both. Let's say challenges. <laughs> let's say challenges for YSC. Okay, challenges for YSC. Um, YSC is um, going through a really amazing period right now, but all great things come with challenges. Um, and we are looking at the next decade to figure out, you know, what are we going to be? How are we going to position ourselves in this next decade. Um, there are a lot of great, amazing organizations out there that are um, also providing services to young women um, that are diagnosed with breast cancer. And so we want to ensure that we're partnering together, um, that we're all working together, so that, you know, in the end, it's all about ensuring that every young woman knows she's not alone when she's diagnosed. And so I think that space is going to be a big challenge, um, but it's also very exciting for the organization. Right. I was going to say, you know, as running I2Y and this organization, one of the hardest things that we continue to have a problem with, and it's not inherent to our organization, is that we're not about cure. We're not about research. And even in Pickification, Pinktober, Picknausea, the cultural consciousness of this country for the layperson is all about research. They're just ingrained in their psyche. Whenever I tell people I work for a cancer organization, they say, oh, do you do research? It's like this knee-jerk, happy response that they want to know, but they don't understand that there's now this 50-50 split between research and survivorship. How do you work that angle with your stakeholders, with new sponsors, with, with your constituency? Well, YSC, I, would, I think every organization needs to focus on what they're good at and, and, and do that, and then partner with the other organizations that are doing what they're maybe not as good at. Um, YSC certainly su providing support for these young women, um, survivorship support, um, that's, that's what we do. That's what we're great at. Um, and we want to ensure that research is happening, um, but we're not a research organization either. Right. Um, we want to ensure that we are a very loud voice for all young women diagnosed with breast cancer, um, but we're not necessarily the ones writing the laws. You know, we want to make sure that we're positioned correctly. In the end, it's all about... Um, the young women that are diagnosed. Well, there you go. Lisa? And how much are you, uh, How? I mean, because I know you guys have, like, you've lobbied and you've gone down to one. I mean, talk about a little bit. I mean, you're not lawmakers, as you said, but how involved do you get? Because you have had a sort of political connection or you have been politically active in terms of trying to influence the laws and leaning on politicians. Speak to that a bit, Stacey. You've been around the organization for sure. a while now. Sure. I don't know how I, or if I would qualify it as um, leaning Not on the leaning, politicians. yeah. Not leaning. But. Um, but I do think, you know, for us as an organization, and in particular as an organization focused on breast cancer, it is important to be aware of what some of the legislative activities are. Um, we are um, involved with and, and have a board seat on, um, you know, major organizations that have more of a political leaning, have more of an advocacy leaning. We do empower our young women to get involved, to get informed, to, to really hone their skills in advocacy if that is their, their you know, their support, their activity. Um, but we do believe that that is one area where change is made. So just as important 
uh, as research can be, so can that whole research advocacy, that legislative advocacy piece uh, be, and we believe in that as well. So we want our constituents to be involved, whether it's locally, regionally, nationally, in making a difference, in making their voices heard, and, and ensuring that, that politicians at any level understand the issues of young women in breast cancer and do whatever it is they can do as politicians to improve the quality of life of the young women diagnosed. Is there anything specific that's happening now in terms of research or trials or anything? I mean, that's always the big, you know, that's what's so difficult is there isn't a lot of research or trial, you know, specifically for this age group. But is there anything out there floating in the ether that you guys are focusing on or hopeful about or you know, something in, in that's... I think that there's a lot of research happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the challenge is because young women are a minority of the breast cancer population, it is very challenging for the research community to heavily invest right. when they know that they're not going to have a large accrual population to study and therefore come out with blockbuster results. Um, Yet we have to look at any research that is ensuring it includes young women as potentially promising. So I wish I could tell you that, you know, there's a blockbuster vaccine right around the corner or there is that uh, screening tool specifically for young women. I do know that there are a number of researchers working on those things, um, but we don't have any big banners to report at this moment. Unfortunately. I would just say that what I've always said is that the future of cancer research is epigenetics and genomics mm-hmm. because that is a disease agnostic philosophy, that it's all about the genes that cause the cancers and it is irrelevant where the cancers happen. Um, obviously, it is relevant to a certain extent, but it's less about where the cancer happens and more about why it's triggered through your genetics. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, the only honest, tangible hope for targeted molecular medicine in young adults is the genomic research done being funded by AACR, being funded by Stand Up to Cancer, being funded by uh, small groups like Sigma Tau and Seattle Genetics. I'm, they're not sponsored, but I'm just saying these are great organizations that are leading a philosophy where it's not about, oh, let's just identify this one cell and this one body part. It's a larger picture of, well, what part of your body triggered that gene switch and how do we target that gene so it turns off X, Y, and Z. That's, those are my two cents on why I really don't believe in basic research anymore, and I'm not really ascribing to disease-specific research. It is all about genetics. It's, it's your body. It's your makeup. Herceptin, Gleevec, Temadar, Tamoxifen, those are drugs that were developed based on your genes, and that's why they're the most preeminent, productive, and effective agents out there. And then, of course, in terms of survivorship, what the YSC deals with a lot um, which breast cancer has perhaps more than some other cancers are, you know, plastic surgery potentially tied into it, of knowing all your options for if you would like reconstruction and what all this myriad. I mean, there's been a tremendous breakthrough there in terms of what kind types of things can be done for Isn't reconstruction. Is reconstruction, like, fully covered in some states now? Yes. Reconstruction is covered. Um, it, 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 it's written, the law is something like, when you need, when there's a uh, any sort of cert, when there's a mastectomy, or there's even reconstruction you can do on a so-called skin on a lumpectomy. Essentially, right. there's also reconstruction that you can do for lumpectomies now. And they're free. 
Covered, they're covered by insurance? <laughs> they're covered by insurance. Good. And potentially the other breast, if you need, I mean, you need to check with your individual insurer. But, I mean, but insurance. all that, but for, right. those, for yes, those that exactly. have insurance, exactly. Or aren't underinsured, right. Mm. Exactly. Um, so that's a whole other, you know, separate sort of additional surgery. Sure. Um, and, and obviously sexuality, a lot of cancers have well, the breast preservation. cancer and preservation. All of the, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, it is. So what do you guys got in store for the end of the year? You just finished your tour to Pink in Atlanta, right? We did, and um, it's October. I think that we'll be all over the country attending many different events, um, but as well ensuring that we are providing some quality education. We have an upcoming webinar on October 13th that we're partnering with Cancer Support Community um, to address specifically the needs of young women, the psychosocial needs of young women living with metastatic breast cancer, which is a community uh, that is often underrepresented and uh, underserved. So that's one of our big October programs, but through our affiliate structures, there'll be a number of programs across the country. I'll let Jen hit the special events. I'm the program person. Get my calendar. Um, definitely anyone listening from the West Coast or interested in being on the West Coast, um, YSC's Tour to Pink, uh, which is our big bike ride event that we do in four regions around the, com- uh, the country. Our last uh, event is on the West Coast, and it is going to be in two weeks, so uh, the 14th, 15th, and 16th of October, and it's in, Santa, in the Santa barbara area. Beautiful place to have a bike ride. Yeah, amazing place. So that's definitely something you can find out. Uh, it's called Tour de Pink. Um, just hop on our website, and you can find out all about it. It's an amazing event um, and a very special special part of YSC. And when is C4YW again this year? So, as I said, we'll be in New Orleans. Yes. Uh, we'll be in New Orleans, Louisiana, February 24th through the 26th. Join us. We look forward to having everyone. Uh, registration and travel grants and all of that great information will open right at the beginning of November. So we encourage all of your listeners. To and let's hope for no. Us. Let's hope for no snowstorm in the East Coast. No snow. That often comes in February. That right. kept me from going one year. Uh, when you guys were. Well, Lisa, you and I will drive down. We'll do a road trip. Oh, God. <laughs> How many hours is that in the car with you? 18? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Matt, I'm definitely going to come to um, OMG 2012 this year. Oh, damn straight. It'll be my first Great. time. Yeah, well, coming. Well, you, you so came to the Young Gala. You got a taste of the OMG Summit at the Young Gala. I did, yeah. and it was it was a great event. Jeffrey and I had a great time, so it's we're like, looking forward to this. It's Burning Man, basically. <laughs> nice. Okay, well, it's I'll Burning plan Man. on it. Yeah. You could come to my binge shrink and break out that I can't wait. I can't wait. Funneling 101, <laughs> flip cup seminar. Nice. And, uh, I, I went to Wazoo. I could probably teach the class. Okay. It's beer pong versus survivorship cage match. I'm looking for casino. co-panelists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What about Stacy? We're getting you to Vegas. Stacy's already. Yeah. Stacy has no choice. And there we have it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right. No, this is good. Good way to kick off October without being too overly pinktacular. Or pinklicious Thanks or pinkdiculous. We can call them pinktacular and pinklicious. You guys are pinklicious. They are. Yes, pinktacular. <laughs> Thanks, and guys. you are not pinkdiculous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, let's close out the show and with our uh, closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so 
To all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 199th broadcast. 200 coming up next week, I want cake. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I want cake, yes. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. All righty, I'd like to thank our in-studio guests, Mr. Kenny Kane, James Manning, uh, Jessica Schaefer, Jennifer Mercer, Stacey Lewis, and our special guest tonight in studio, Jessica Richter, no, Jessica Schaefer, sorry, and Carrie Malicki and her mom, Pam. And her mom, Pam. And her mom, Pam. Sorry about that. <laughs> Pam Trader. Pam Trader. Okay. That's right. All right, join us, everybody, next week. The folks from Breast Cancer Action, you know them, you love them, they're going to be here with us. Karuna Yeager. Am I saying her last name correctly? I hope so. I think it's Jaeger. You told me Jake. You told me Jaeger. Now you say it's Jaeger. I'm going to say whatever you don't say. Oh, dear. She's the executive director. We should know how to pronounce her name after we'll straighten that out by next week. Breast Cancer Action. Angela Wall, she's a communications manager. And Kim Irish, she is a program manager. And in next week's Survivor Spotlight is Marissa Levesque. She is the young adult breast cancer survivor. If you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free anytime at iTunes at iTunes. .stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. Thanks to the YSC. Good night, everybody.